Gang, for over a year now, I've been talking about True Hemp Science Full Spectrum CBD oils and how they've reduced my anxiety and helped me get better sleep without waking up feeling foggy and confused. I've also talked about the Full Spectrum CBD bombs that relieved my hand pain last year and made playing piano and guitar much easier. Well, gang, today I'm going to tell you about True Hemp Science organic gummies made with full spectrum hemp oil that are available now. They come in two different gauges. There are five, uh, 50 milligram ones that have 50 milligrams of CBD and 1.5 milligrams of THC. Then there are ones that are 100 milligrams of CBD and 5 milligrams of THC. Absolutely delicious uh, lemon lime slash orange flavors and also watermelon black cherry flavors. Super, super delicious. Now, now, they also have a complete line of full-spectrum CBD products, including oils, tinctures, skincare lotions, sports rubs, chocolates, gummies, all kinds of stuff. Well, gang, How Did I Get Here has teamed up with True Hemp Science to bring you a very special offer that benefits all of us. Spend $100 or more at TrueHempScience.com and you will get a free gift. Just enter the code HDIGH at checkout. There's a little code place there for you to enter it. H-D-I-G-H and you will get a free gift with purchase. That's right. Go to TrueHempScience.com and balance your body and mind with True Hemp Science. Let's get down. Hey gang, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of How Did I Get Here? I know you have a lot of choices out there and the fact that you're listening to this episode right now is not lost on me. So thank you. I'm not sure what platform you're listening on, but whatever platform you're on, give us a follow. And if you like what you hear, leave us a rating. It takes just a second and it means the world to me. Plus, it really helps the show. So thank you in advance. And remember, the last 100 episodes of How Did I Get Here are available on all streaming services. Now, enjoy the show. Johnny, I'm your host. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys have all had a good weekend, whatever it is you did this weekend. Gang, I want to apologize for this show coming out a day late. This uh, How Did I Get Here is an incredibly punctual podcast where we put out shows every Tuesday and every Friday for the last 12 and a half years. We've taken that very seriously and we don't fuck around with it. But unfortunately, I've come across some technical difficulties with my computer trying to communicate with our host site, Podbean, it's been very difficult uh, and it's difficult to upload the podcast to it now all of a sudden, but I think I found a way to do it to my phone. So hopefully I can, I can at least keep it going <laughs> until I figure out a way to make my computer work with it again. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, gang, I hope you guys did have a good weekend. I had a really good weekend. I want to let you know really quickly that I went Friday night to see David Ramirez at the Continental Club Gallery. Fantastic, man. I've never seen him before. I was supposed to be on a show with him a couple of weeks ago, but was really sick, ended up not being able to make it, but I uh, got to go see him on Friday and he was fucking great. I was really impressed. Um, that guy's got a great band. He's a great songwriter. He's a great singer. He's a great guitar player. And uh, after that, I went to go see my friend Heath Allen from the band Yacht Z, uh, my good pal. He, he put together a band with his Yacht Z band members and uh, some other extra musicians including my friend Jason Garcia from the old band Household Names. And they uh, did a tribute show to Paul McCartney's band On The Run. 
They did the whole record in its entirety for its 50th anniversary. They were supposed to do it last year, but it got canceled at the last minute. And so they rescheduled. It was this year. It was fucking great, man. They did. They paid such attention to detail. It was worth. It was totally worth it. It was worth going out that night, staying out late. It was fantastic, man. So Heath and the gang really pulled it off. And uh, I was really proud of them. And I had a blast at that show. Then uh, gang on Monday, Happy Land. My new band with Kimmy Rhodes and Gabe Rhodes and Sean Pander and Louie Rhodes and Harmony Kelly and John Chipman, we had our debut performance, and it was fantastic. We're playing on uh, Mondays at the Saxon Pub. Come on out this Monday, January 29th, uh, 6 p.m. if you live in Austin. It's a great show, man. I want to thank all the people that came out. The show was packed. Everybody was super enthusiastic. People were so excited to see the band, and they felt so good after the band. It is a feel-good band. It really is. We all love being around each other. The band was was born out of people hanging out at dinner parties, wondering why we didn't start a band together because we love hanging out together so much. And then we did. And I think that's reflected on stage. Everyone's a great songwriter. There's lots of harmonies. We've really we've really put a lot of work into it. And uh, and yeah, come on out on Mondays. I want to thank everyone that came out. We even had people come up from Houston to see the show. The very first show felt great. So uh, thank you to everyone who came out and uh, come out this Monday night, 6 p.m., Saxon Pub, Austin, Texas. All right. We play before Bob Schneider. Um, Gang, I have a really, really great show for you guys today. Uh, There's a great like songwriter, composer, uh, super amazing, classically trained musician named Ellis Ludwig Leone, who has a Brooklyn based octet that is an indie sort of an indie folk chamber pop kind of band that's what i think of the mass they have a brand new album called arms that's dropping on february 16th this record is absolutely fantastic they're also heading out on tour this spring they'll be heading out i think at the end of february beginning of 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 september and going out into the summer uh so go to sanforminband.com sanformin what a great great band and this album arms man i can't wait till you hear it they've got some singles out now my Love is a Loneliness, the single Arms, and Didn't You Want To, which is the song you will hear on here. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic band. And uh, Ellis is a really, really accomplished musician. Like he just had, a, he just put out this, or I guess uh, premiered a dance opera last year, last February, like a year ago. It was called Night Falls, and uh, it was very successful. And uh, he is a classically trained musician. He went to Yale uh, University for that. For, for music, yeah, sound like a guy that didn't go to Yale while I'm saying that. Anyway, Ellis and I have a great conversation. We really, really got along very, very well. He's not the lead singer of the band, even though he is the creative force behind it, the songwriter, uh, the arranger, the guy that arranges the, the horn parts and all this stuff, which, by the way, on this record are absolutely fantastic. But he has two fantastic singers in the band. One of them's Alan Tate, and the other one is Claire Wellen. Uh, they both handle the lead vocal duties. Claire Wellen also is in a band called Youth in a Roman Field, which I really love. And I'm trying to get Claire on the show so you guys can hear what she has to say about songwriting and 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 music and stuff. Anyway, uh, Ellis is a brilliant songwriter, a great composer, a great music person, really a great conversation. We've actually stayed in touch. And I'm hoping to see them because when they're on their uh, 2024 tour, they will be stopping in Austin on June 11th at The Parish, which is a great venue here that I love to go to. So uh, I, it looks like I have the night off because it is a Tuesday. So hopefully... 
you will see me there at the San Fermin show uh, on June 11th. Uh, go to SanFermeanBand.com for all of your San Fermin needs. See if they're coming to a town near you. And uh, please enjoy my conversation with this incredibly talented and super cool artist, Ellis Ludwig Leon from the band San Fermin. Let's get down. Every day, and you're the one to blame. The atmosphere in here is feeling off the pain. I water all the plants. I'm a new fan. Uh, I got your your stuff uh, from your publicist when I was in a I have to not book anybody else mode. And then, as I do, just in case, let me go check out this album, Arms, and see what's going on. And I like listened to two songs and was like, "Yeah." And then I've been Thank listening you. to the record ever since. This might—I think this might be my favorite, my favorite uh, record of twenty twenty-four. I know it's—it's—it's it's, it's only like the ninth or the eighth or whatever, but so far, I think this is it. That that makes me feel good. You know, even if there's a better record every month, I'll still make the top twelve. You know, so yeah, that's man. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. Uh, can I ask you a couple of things? Your your voice. And uh, your delivery style. Do you ever listen to Grant Lee Buffalo? Uh, so no, actually. So that's my the singer is my uh, is my best friend Alan. Oh, um, that's not you. Okay. No, so I write the lyrics and the songs, but okay. he, Alan, and Claire are the singers. So they're okay. they. Uh, I don't know if he knows Grant Lee Buffalo. Um, it's not someone who's come up for me though. Is that a is a similar delivery? He has a similar voice to to that guy Grant Lee Phillips, and also like there's something about. Uh, a couple of these songs, like you have this ability to, uh, like, uh, what is the song? Didn't want you to, which that song is just fucking. That is a great song, man. Fantastic song. Appreciate that. You you have that you have the same ability in your writing as Richard Howley to sort of have like this mid tempo anthem. It's hard to have a mid tempo anthem. <laughs> I know. Well, I feel like that's the that's the. Um the little cul-de-sac that I live in is the mid-tempo <laughs> yeah, anthem. Yeah. As much as I try, it's so hard for me to ever, you know, uh, like uh, getting past 120 BPM, I'm always just like, this is too much. <laughs> you have like a Valium soul. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, I think there's like, um, there's a form that I tend to fall into, which, you know, sometimes I like, I like to get out of that, but, you know, where you kind of build up momentum, you're talking, you're thinking about something and eventually you just kind of land at a, at a big realization. And like, uh, you know, I, I guess the pace of my thought is somewhere in that mid tempo world. <laughs> yeah. Well, that guy, Alan is his name. Yeah. Alan and both Claire, like I went and looked up Claire's band, uh, youth in a Roman field too. She's yeah. a great singer, man. Yeah. Yeah. She's very, um, she actually, she's one of the most versatile singers I've ever come across like she can do didn't want you to which has that almost like Cheryl Crow kind of you right, know right. yeah but but she also I cast her in an opera and she sang like full opera and she comes you know she she did uh she's done musical theater before like she's really all over the place so it's kind of amazing to have someone like that who um is kind of a chameleon and can just can really follow you wherever you want to go yeah 
A hundred percent. What is it like then writing? It's interesting because it seemed like, uh, it seemed like, uh, like obviously you, there are two different ranges you're writing for vocally. Yeah. So that's why yeah. I naturally just assumed that was a guy, like that was the guy that wrote the song singing them. Sorry about that. No, I think honestly, even you, you thinking that, assuming that it touches on like an interesting thing about our band, because I think our genre of music, particularly like whatever, however you want to call it, the indie folk, whatever, you know, pop inflected, uh, but like more sort of indie genre, there's this feeling with that music that whoever's singing to you is talking to you like that. That's, you know, if you listen to a, you know, whatever, a Phoebe Bridgers song or a, Bill Callahan songs like that's the that's the person talking to you and so we always have this funny thing where because the lyrics are coming from me and the songwriting is coming from me there's a little bit of like a step between you know where I'm I'm writing but the people who are actually singing are not the person who wrote it and so I think that that kind of like question of authorship is often a an interesting one for you know people who come to meet the band for the first time well, that's what's so weird because in the model of the guy that that writes the words that other people sing in a band, all I think of is uh, the Maples formed a union, which is like Rush, <laughs> you know, like yeah. some kind of weird shit. You're did this record? Um, this is some really personal shit that you're hitting on, and also uh, a lot of the questions. This is uh, like weird, and I'm not trying to be weird, but I've gone through mm-hmm. t- through. I, I went through a very significant breakup that left me uh, sort of off kilter to the point where I I was having like, uh, you know, you lose your self-confidence, like a, 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 a crisis of confidence situation yeah. on, all, on, on all levels in your life. Totally. And then I had yeah. another one that was a little shorter. It wasn't as big of a deal, but, but still like after that one, you're like, well, what the fuck am I doing wrong? Like, I'm like, who the fuck, what am I, who are these people yeah. dating? You know what I mean? And so totally. a lot of these songs, you you were talking like, I feel, sorry, I feel like I already know you and I have to catch you up on my side of our friendship. <laughs> that's great. I'm, I'm, that's honestly, that's the, the best kind of, uh, that's the best kind of interview, you know? <laughs> yeah. Great. yeah. Yeah. So, so that's what sort of like, um, brought you to this point of, of writing a simpler kind of song, so to speak. Yeah. I think the way that I, um, was feeling, I mean, I, you know, uh, for anyone who's listening, who, you know, doesn't know the story of this record, basically, you know, I went through a, a breakup after a very long relationship, very significant, important relationship. Um, and then had, you know, kind of a, a second, uh, thing that happened, uh, over a much shorter period of time, but that also had a big impact on me for various reasons. Also partly because, uh, you know, I hadn't really even dealt with the first thing. Right, um, and right. so there was this, this kind of like, boom, boom, kind of like uh, double whammy. Um, but because of that, I feel like I really experienced, um, all sides of this kind of a, of a experience of like being rejected being, you know, uh, or being on the other side of that and the sort of like negotiation that happens around something as personal as a relationship. Um, and when I was writing songs, I was just like, man, there's no room in this for anything other than 
the lyrics. You know, I really just wanted to um, talk about, um, it felt very personal. And in the past, I think other Stand For Me songs have been more, you know, I don't know, people say like orchestral or, you right, know, right. sort of operatic. And there's this kind of like, oh, there's an exploration of timbre and there's an exploration of arrangements and um, form. And this album, I was like, you know, there was a necessity. I just felt like I needed to work through stuff and very quickly because I was having what I think what you described a little bit of that crisis of confidence and almost like dissociative moments, like feeling yeah. really not at home in my skin. Um, and the music, I mean, it sounds cliche, but the music was very important, you know, therapy tool. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. You can, you really get that from this record. And I, I, uh, I come from that that sort of world of songwriting where if you look at a person's catalog, you just get the their self analysis for the last like yeah. thirty years. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, you know, wh- whatever. It's it's sort of a self absorbed thing, but I I literally use it, and I that's what that's why I connected so strongly to this record and to to what you're saying in a lot of these songs. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I think that the you know the the risk with writing per, like very from the personal place, like you're describing is that the question of self-absorption and like, is this navel gazing? Am I, you know, who gives a crap? Well, you know what I'm doing over here. Like, uh, what does this have to do with the current crisis of, you know, fill in the blank, you know? Right. Um, but, but I think, uh, you know, that kind of examination of internal life and internal world, is always going to be at the heart of the artistic impulse, at least for me. Um, it's just like, you know, art is, is how we make sense of our ex- lived experience. And, you know, you can do that about internal, very personal things like relationships, or you can do that about, you know, <laughs> whatever the election, you know, there's all sorts of things to write about. And often, often the best art, I think kind of like looks inward, but then, that look inward often reflects something that's also happening to a lot of other people and that people can connect to. And the nice thing about writing about something this universal, like, you know, a breakup is it's like, yeah, everyone's experienced that. Everyone's felt angry. Everyone's felt rejected, you know, and that there's a universality to that that feels actually um, generous. It's like, Hey, like, you know, let's find some community and some connection in the face of, uh, you know, a negative experience. Yeah. Can I ask you, I read this thing in the, in your, uh, in your bio uh, or in the thing that your publicist sent me that, uh, that you, uh, the quote is, I like the idea of someone's particular brand of love being misanthropic, kind of a misfit. (laughs) Now I, I have recently like over the last couple of weeks had that same sort of thought about like, I, I listened to this interview with uh, with Tony Visconti. Mm-hmm. You know who I'm talking about? Okay, so yeah. uh, he was married to all these people. And he's like, yeah, I've come to the conclusion that like, I'm probably not that, I'm not that guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a, I think I must have a different wiring to work in a mm-hmm. different way. How How is this going to work for me? And I identified with that so powerfully, like I did with this, with this quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's a, you know, if something doesn't work out and you feel like 
there's a guilt to that. And what did I do wrong and how come this didn't work? You know? And, uh, um, yeah, there's, I think there's a part of me that was like, okay, maybe I am, you know, I incapable of being a certain kind of person or giving a certain kind of, you know, um, love and whether or not that's true in the long run for me. And, you know, that's, it, it was true at the moment, you know, and that it felt like very real. And, uh, you know, I think there's, a relationships fit at a really weird nexus where there's both a very selfish reason that you're in a relationship. You, you know, there's all sorts of things that you're there for that are really nice, the companionship and the, all the, all the things that are great about it. But then you really care about someone and you want to be there for them. But that, that kind of cross section of wanting to be there for someone else and wanting to be there for your own reasons, I think can lead to some friction. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jesus. All right. So, uh, also, hold on. Let me tell you a couple of things that that blow my mind. Can't unsee it. That's a beautiful mm. song, and the horn arrangements on this record are so cool. They have like that, uh, um, almost like from a Burt Bacharach song or something like that. Yeah. Laid back, not like right. not like Earth, Wind, and Fire vibe. <laughs> like jumping up, you know. It's like these cool kind of like almost yeah. like funeral horns. <laughs> I think our uh, I think our trumpet player John would kill me if I ever wrote an Earth Wind and Fire arrangement. So uh, you know, it's just uh, he's like, why don't we take that down the octave? Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I I think the the horn arrangements were the one place that you know. So this album was the first one that I made where I wasn't producing it. It was being produced by Alan, our our lead singer, and uh, and because of that, I mean, it was a kind of a twofold reason. One was that he and I had been working together for. 16 years we've been you know best friends for 16 years so it, it just felt like a new like like our our creative relationship just keeps evolving and it felt like the right thing but it also i didn't really trust myself with this subject matter and with this these songs to um i just didn't i didn't feel like a very uh, uh reliable narrator at the time like what you i i was just like i'm I'm coming into the studio at 8 a.m. every morning. I have a song by 10:30. Like I feel crazy. Like I'm out every night until three. I don't know, man. I'm just gonna write these songs and like you tell me what to do. <laughs> and he was so good uh, in sort of curtailing some of my, um, you know, my impulses to make everything feel really big and important. And he was like, he's like, this subject matter. It already feels like the stakes are high. Don't do it a disservice by building everything too much but the horn regions were the one place where he was like go for it like let it let that let those rage because you know it's part of the identity of our band but also um there is kind of a sadness to to a lot of the the horns the horn arrangements um that feels kind of there's a a grandness but also like a as you say funeral horns it's a little bit of a yeah it's not a celebration always you know and i think that that um that kind of comes through in those arrangements for sure it's so cool. I I love that so much more. I like horns. Like I'm 55, so I I have like this aversion to saxophone because of the 80s. You know, like it was yeah, so. Totally. Like, but like I mean, saxophone. Like I I have some friends, and I'll go see them play. Like mostly in the jazz world. But you're like, oh, this just sounds great. Like this instead of like, you know. We have a our sax player is a very sax player Stephen Chen and. um you know, he's been a big part of the formation of the sound of this band over the last, you know, since now our fifth album. And it's really interesting working with him because 
uh, all of those uh, cultural references that you refer to from the eighties are, are top of mind for, I think every sax player, right? Like the last thing you like, everyone you just see the oiled up shirtless guy from the, from the, vi- exactly. from the vampire movie. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that like he, every, every, I mean, I'm speaking for people, for a large community of people I don't know, but I feel like every sax player both really wants to be the guy from Careless Whisper and absolutely does not want to be the guy from Careless Whisper, you know? And, and, uh, and the, the sort of the friction between those two is, uh, is always funny. But Stephen, I think we've talked over the years about evolving the sound of the saxophone so that it can be, you know, on some of our earlier records, it almost is like a, you know, it's almost like an engine of like, like he's playing in this crazy sort of dirty way that it doesn't right. even sound like a, sounds like this kind of like, um, you know, mechanical thing. And for this album, I was like, actually, you know, we're not going to do any big shredding saxophone stuff, but like you're, you're part of a horn section. You're kind of doing a trombones work here. Like, so there's a warmth to it, but there's also an understatedness to, to the playing on this that I think is different from some of our previous stuff. Right. I uh, um, I want I want to get to your whole story in a second, but there's a thing that I forgot to mention. I uh, like loneliness dawned on me like uh, yesterday or Saturday. I was walking my dog and listening to uh the live your live at the Fillmore album. Yeah, it's fucking awesome, by the way. Oh, thank it's you. Really, yeah, really good. Um. And uh, I was listening, you can hear the crowd and you can hear the vibe and the, and the intensity. And then like sort of that time when you go back to your hotel room and you're just sitting there eating a sad sandwich and watching like CNN or something. Um, <laughs> you know what Definitely. I mean? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do. It dawned on me that loneliness. When I heard that crowd, I was like, oh, this is so beautiful. I was like, oh man, I bet it was sad going back to his room that night. And like... Uh- that is, that is honestly, that's such a good, uh, observation. It really is. I mean, um, I mean, not, not to, not to, to go into a, a too dark a place, but I feel like there's a reason where, you know, you hear about people, you know, um, like often it's in hotel rooms that, 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 you know, people <laughs> that take drugs and, you know, whatever. I'm like, laughing. Yeah. 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 But it's true. Oh yeah. yeah. But that, that there is this kind of, I think part of it is that it's the place that you go right after this really special moment. And so much of, um, tour is basically trying to modulate between having one hour of really like feeling like connected to people in a way that most people will never be able to feel like there's this truly special moment where you're like me and every person in this room are on the same frequency and I feel connected in a way that is amazing. And then you go, you, you finish the show, you get backstage, you realize like your back hurts and that you actually haven't really eaten anything. And then suddenly you're drinking a bunch of wine because it's back there. Yeah. And then you're in the hotel and it's like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. You know, and I think that there's a real, um, yeah, a real roller coaster ride between that one moment of connection and the 23 hours of tour that feel not that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, are you, you're, are you classically trained, obviously? Where, yeah. where did yeah. you grow up? Where are you from? I grew up in southeastern Massachusetts, um, and I, uh, you know, basically, yeah, I was born in Newport, Rhode Island, and then I lived in this town called Berkeley, Massachusetts, for my until I went to college. Okay, where'd you go to college? So I went to Yale and studied classical music there. Nice. So I've been on the East Coast my whole life because I just kind of followed ninety five down to 
to Brooklyn after that, and I've been living in, in New York since since 2011. So you been here for you, you don't have any noticeable accent. I can do it. <laughs> what is is it Massachusetts accent? Massachusetts yeah, yeah, yeah. Accent? I have a I, I have a I have a a secret like you know Somerset <laughs> uh, Southeastern Mass. You know I can do it, but I uh, it's it's a uh, only in the right circumstances. Did you, what was your instrument? Piano or yeah? Okay. Yeah. Um, and I studied classical piano, and I also was playing in rock bands sort of simultaneously in high school. And I never thought that those two things would mix. And then going to college, that was when I started realizing that there's a lot of ways that those could connect and I could take from one thing and take from the other and uh, kind of uh, build my own language. Yeah. Uh, um, did you, was there some, uh, was there a particular artist that, that uh, shined a light on that for you? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, um, in high school, the one, the first person, and I think actually I, I have a couple of composer friends who feel this way too. The first person who made it seem somehow okay to be a pianist was Ben Folds. Um, yeah. Ben Folds five. Uh, and it was like, you know, <laughs> I like that you said from Ben Folds five, just in case anyone didn't know who Ben Folds was. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe there was, <laughs> I'm just fucking well, with I, you. I guess I was saying those Ben Folds five albums were the ones that really did it right, for right. me actually before he went solo. Yeah. There's, there's um, an energy that's yeah. 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 And I think he used to call it, I don't know if he still calls it this, but he called it punk rock for sissies. But, sure. uh, yeah. but I, I remember, I just remember that there was this, like, it was very virtuosic. Like he could really play and there were fun songs to play on the piano. I would learn them. Um, but the songwriting was just really, uh, direct, like his lyric writing is so conversational almost. And I was like, how can these two things live together? And I saw him live, he played at, at Providence college. Um, and I went to go, you know, with a high school friend. And after that, I think I started thinking more seriously about being a musician. Wow. Uh, you, you, uh, you wrote like the lyrics and music for the night falls, which is a dance opera that, that debuted last year in February, like a year ago. Yeah. Congratulations yeah. on that. It was uh thank you. Yeah. It was really uh, fun. I actually even managed to cast both Alan and Claire, the singers of San for me. And I managed to cast them in there as a, uh, as like singers, which was a, uh, felt like a real coup for me. I bring my world together again, you know? Yeah. Um, but first of all, is that is that a world that you live in that you like the theater world and stuff like that? Yeah, I think that um, I'm. I yeah, I definitely live in that world as well. There's, you know, with anything, there's this kind of it sort of depends on the season. Like, you know, the Night Falls was a project that happened. A lot of that happened during COVID, and you know, San Fermin wasn't touring, and um, I was working pretty pretty heavily on that with. Karen Russell is a writer who was the helped write the libretto. Uh, she wrote the libretto for that. And then um, Troy Schumacher, who's a choreographer who had been commissioning me for years to write ballets for his company okay. and is a good friend. And so um, it felt like the right time to really like dive into a big project like that. Um, but yeah, uh, part of my, my job is this kind of having one foot in a classical world and one foot or classical and theater world and one foot in a, you know, uh, songwriting world and, um, making sure that I know how to do both of those things in a way that feels, you know, um, 
honest and respectful of the the history of those traditions sure um without feeling like a tourist you know <laughs> yeah yeah and, and not coming off as a tourist too yeah 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 because i really i've put in the work on on both sides you know and i, I think it's i almost feel like i have these two separate careers that happen to sort of mix here and there and that there's some moments where i really mix them together and there's some moments where i kind of am happy to put everything in its in, in its separate place and kind of just depends on the project and maybe a little bit of my own, uh, you know, fluctuating between how much I want to be, um, mixing things together versus letting them sort of stand alone. Sure. Can I ask you a weird question about, uh, the nightfalls like that doing something like that takes a lot of money and it's either raised or, or it's brought in through grants, right? Yeah. Yeah. How did you, how did you pull that off? Cause that's a fucking hard thing great, to do. Great question. Well, I, uh, the answer is having a really excellent, uh, lead producer, which was, was Troy, the, uh, who commissioned the piece as well. The choreographer, he runs, he runs uh, ballet collective, which is his, his ballet company. And, um, he just was a, he was a, a an absolute star. I mean, he, you know, raised the initial m- money to commission the piece and then, then brought on presenters. So the, you know, peak performances, which is where it, where it premiered, which is out in uh, uh, Montclair, New Jersey, you know, they came on and they, they brought a lot to the table. And, you know, there was, I think a sort of like a consortium of people that were brought together. And for my part, really all I had to do was show up on zoom calls and talk about the piece and be excited about it. And, you know, sort of help people understand what they were getting into when they were coming on to help produce. Um, but, you know, I was thankfully uh, not the person who was having to make, you know, the, those phone calls, um, uh, you know, raising funds. And, you know, I really was thankful to Troy for how, you know, uh, it's amazing. I mean, he was also creating this piece. He was choreographing it. He was like, you know, it was sort of his initial idea. So to be able to wear those two hats, was I was amazed at that. But So the way that it worked was he would come up with the 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 piece and the theme of the piece and then you'd write something to that. No, so he just, he just, he, you know, we had written, we had done six ballets together already. Okay. So we had a, a real, um, easy sort of collaboration. And he basically came to me, this was in 2017, end of 2017. And he said, Hey, I think we should try to do a piece that's like much bigger than we've done full, you know, 90 minutes, um, full evening. And, and the concept that he had was, how can we tell a story, you know, through dance that feels fresh and new? And it's not just people like pantomiming, like, you know, the Nutcracker or whatever, where it's like, right. uh, you know, you go and it's just people, you know, um, the action is very pantomimed and then there's dance. And so it was like, how can you make dance drive a story, but not in that way? Um, and so it ended up being this kind of hybrid piece where uh, it felt like a real combo of theater uh, classical music and opera and, um, dance. And actually the way that the stage was set up, everything was double cast so that there was singers up top and dancers on the bottom. And they had been, you know, each of these characters had been split into two versions of themselves by hearing this siren song as part of the story. And so it just was really a fascinating formal experiment to try to see if you can tell a story in this kind of like four dimensional chess game, which I think it worked. actually. So yeah, it was really fun. Yeah. Those things, I'm, I'm glad that you explained it to me because the first time I, I didn't see Hamilton in person, but whenever it was like in 2020, when it was on Disney, I watched it. And 
I, I had to keep on stopping it because I couldn't like the spinning stage and the way people came on and the way people brought the props on and took them off. Yeah. The whole choreography of the blocking was so fucking mind blowing to me. And just like how yeah. in the, how much time did it take? And you're also rapping over <laughs> that yeah. whole thing too. It was like, it was so insane. Like, I think that's something everybody saw, but when I was watching it, I started getting anxiety. Like, uh, like you know the band Polyphonic Spree? Sure, yeah. The first couple of times I saw them, I I, I, I almost had to leave because just the idea of like, how the fuck does he get everyone to rehearsal? Yeah. Like, how, <laughs> how do they get you know? to the gig, man? Like, yeah. what? Yeah. that's 26 people just in the band. Well, you know, that, that, that sort of sense of theatricality that you're describing and the uh, almost like the overwhelmingness of the show um, is something that actually has been a, a theme with San Fermin for years where we've had, you know, we, we tour with eight people. Now we tour with seven. Um, eight people on a rock stage, especially when you're starting out, it's like there's a little bit of that polyphonic spree thing of like, really? All of you? <laughs> That's what I, when I first saw the live at the Fillmore album, I was like, God damn, how do they get all the way to California with all those people? <laughs> I know, you know, I'll tell you, it's a terrible financial idea to do that. If you're starting a band, start, start a band for three people, you know, I'm in two, um, I'm in two seven person bands. So there you go. Okay. I know so you, you know, so you yeah. know what it feels like to be on that yeah. stage. Right. Yeah. So like, uh, and I think what's, um, unusual about our band is that it's so diffused because, you know, even like, you know, I, I went and saw, um, you know, on the, like the Carrie and Lowell tour, I went and saw Sufjan play and like, he, you know, was in the, in the front and then they had actually quite a big band that was yeah, doing yeah, a lot. Yeah. yeah. But there's a real focal point, right? You're watching Sufjan yeah. and like, um, and our, our music is not like that because the person who wrote it is over on the side playing keyboard. So that's already funny. And then there's two or even three singers, depending on the iteration of the band that, you know, you see. So they're lined up across the front. And then the brass players are actually, they get like all the fun stuff. So suddenly you have this kind of like choreographed kind of thing. And, and over the years, we've figured out how to sort of gently, you know, move people's eyes so that you see, you watch this when you want to watch this, you, or when this is important, you watch this when that's important. And I think that that makes our show really interesting, but it also adds this element of, a slight element of theatricality that's always made me a little bit um, uncomfortable because the songs are very personal. And like, uh, I tend to associate theater with something a little bit more showy and yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And, yeah. and that's not what we're doing. So how do you bring out the theatricality and the, you know, the sort of the grandness of emotion that comes from something very personal um, without it seeming choreographed or trite. So that's right. always been something that I've thought a lot about. Yeah, that's a tough, uh, that's, a, I, I actually, I just played uh, in New York a couple of nights in uh, in November and I had dinner with uh, <laughs> with two dudes that were in this Lennon play that was, that happened okay. like 20 years ago. Okay, cool. Like, I think they had six shows before it closed, but it was like Yoko was involved in everything. It was all this whole thing. And they had, uh, they had, it was like that Bob Dylan movie where they had like seven different people playing John Lennon. Like, that, that weren't sure. like yeah. John Lennon, but they were like the essence of John, whatever. And mm -hmm. uh, 
but they after a couple of drinks and after the gig when we when we were heading out <laughs> they started showing like I was asking them about how those songs were performed and they totally were like you know <laughs> yeah she said <laughs> I know what it's like to be dead <laughs> you know the big yeah. smile and all that goofiness um, have you ever seen the um, have you ever seen the uh, there's a video from like the Tonys from years ago where they performed some some number from the very brief uh, Bob Dylan for sort of doomed Bob Dylan musical that happened went to Broadway briefly and it's so funny because it's like you can think of someone who would hate this the most it is Bob Dylan <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's like people on there you know doing this kind of like yeah soft shoe sort of routine right. they're literally rolling stones while they sing like a rolling stone they're rolling stones across the stage you know and it's like I, it's just really funny to see that uh, uh, that sometimes when you when you try to uh, make something dramatic and theatrical, you just kind of make it silly. So it's hard to hard to find the right balance. Very silly. Hey, you're in Brooklyn. I am. Do you ever go to a place? Do you know a place called Sleepwalk? No, where's that? Uh, Park Slope. Okay. No, is that a venue? Yeah. Uh, yes, it is a venue. There's a listening okay. room there, and it's also like a nightclub. They got burlesque shows some nights. It's one of my best Sweet. friends' places. He just opened it. I was thinking that's what that's one of the I I played at the uh, at the uh, Hill Country Barbecue. Yeah, that's a I'm great place to play. Yeah, yeah. It's the and only place. You know. I'm I'm in a band, and I play mostly like in Texas. I play other places too, but the only place I ever play that has a giant Texas flag behind me while I'm playing is in Manhattan. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, so when you guys tour, you go, you like, you're going out to the West coast, you fly out to the West coast and then like, yeah, historically, work? I mean, the logistics of it kind of changed. Um, you know, historically, we used to go out, we'd go out, we'd do like maybe a six week tour and actually we would just take the bus and we'd go or, or the sprinter or whatever. And we'd go, you know, a big loop of North America and that takes six weeks or so. Um, but for this tour, you know, people, uh, I, it just sort of made sense to break it up a little bit. So we are doing like more like a two week run, another, you know, week and a half run. And then we're going to announce a, a third, you know, little run as well. So it's kind of broken up into, into chunks. Um, but yeah, yeah, we end up flying out to the West Coast, which is, uh, you know, eight of us on a plane. Yeah. Well, that's crazy. It's nice. It's better than driving out. You know, it's better than I, I, I it turns out that North America is a huge fucking place and it's not that fun to drive around over and over and over again. So. No, I've been I've been doing it. I mean, I haven't done it so much in the last decade, but I spent pretty much like 1993 to 2000 and nine just wow yeah all right you really done it doing okay. figure eights mostly <laughs> yeah it's just yeah. so exhausting in different configurations i just started uh, this last summer i toured you know the band fastball yeah i toured playing guitar and keyboards with them like as an auxiliary guy and um awesome i love and, some great songs on that uh, that one the way is such oh, a classic Jesus. yeah uh, yeah yeah, they've got great stuff. That was a great experience. It's nice. Do, do you uh, do you ever like jump into a like? I know you're the side man in your band, but do you do it for other people? Like, not much. You know, I, the closest I get actually is that I, you know, I am hired fairly often to arrange for other bands, which is kind of fun, and which feels like being 
I'm not performing with them, but I feel like I'm being a sideman in that, in that kind of capacity where I'm like, all right, here's the band song. It's great as it is. If I did nothing to this, it would be good. So how do I add something here that like makes it feel a little more elevated? It's like adding a little salt, you know, to to a dish, but like, that feels a little like being a sideman where you're sure. It's like, how can I add a little thing, but not make this about me at all? Um, so that's, I really like doing that because it feels very like, uh, it's nice to be in someone else's creative process for a little while, you know? It really is. Uh, and it's yeah. also nice to jump into some, like, uh, into somebody else's music in a way, you know, being inside of it. If that yeah, makes sense. Exactly. Not yeah. And then, else. and then, you know, next time you sit down to write, that music is in you, you know, and you're, you're like, ah, like it was actually really fun to this, 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 and that, that I, you know, that someone else thought of, I wouldn't have thought of that and, you know, borrow things. And as long as you're not stealing, you you borrow ideas. That's kind of the, the nice um, thing about music is that it's so ends up being so collaborative in all these different ways. Do you guys think you'll be coming down to Texas in your third leg of the tour? Yeah. We'll be there. We'll be there in Austin and we'll be there in Dallas. And then we're going to do, uh, go over from there to Santa Fe. So a couple, couple shows in in Texas. Great. I live in Austin. So do you know where you're playing yet or no? Um, I think it's Mohawk. Yeah. I think we're doing Mohawk. I love that place. Um, yeah, yeah, man, I'll come out and see you guys. I, I, uh, yeah, we'll be on the list. It'd be great to have you there. Yeah. I would love to. I'll, I'll reach out to you on, uh, on like Instagram or something and, and, uh, and give you my info. I, I yeah. really, I, I, I love your music so much, man. And I'm, I'm, is, is like the night falls, is there, they're going to be like some kind of like way you can hear that music or it, yeah. at least. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it means a lot to hear that. Uh, honestly. Thank you, Johnny. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, um, the night falls is actually, there's a, there's a cast recording and that's actually gonna, it's not announced yet, but it'll, it'll be coming out, you know, within the next year. Um, on our record label, which is really nice. Oh, so, yeah. You know, yeah. Better Alan Company and I, Records. Had, yeah, Better Company Records. We've had this record label for two and a half years or two, something like that. And really the last year and a half, it's really, you know, feels like it's just taken off. We have, you know, I think it's like 40 artists now. and 40? All, releases every week. Yeah, 40, yeah. Um, and, you know, releases every week, and that's been really great. And it's also nice from a selfish perspective because I feel like... Um, as a songwriter and as a composer, uh, there are periods of your time of your life where you're actually pretty isolated, right? Like as a composer, you just sit in this room and you're thinking about stuff and writing and not seeing anyone. And what I really like about the label is it gives me this kind of built in community, um, of music to listen to. I always have submissions coming in. There's new things to hear. And then there's also just like this nice, it gives you a reason to root for other musicians, you know, which is always a, a nice thing. Cause I think it can be a little bit, you know, it's hard out there. It's like, there's the music is not a, there's not a ton of like extra stuff going around, you know? So I feel like it's easy to get a little bit protective of your world. And the label has been a really nice way to be like, okay, no, like rising tide lifts all ships. I'm really rooting for everyone. But anyway, the, the Night Falls album comes out on that, on Better Company Records uh, later this year. Well, congratulations, dude. That is the main reason that I started this podcast. Really, I was starting to get old and realizing that other people's successes or starting to view other people's successes as like a tax on my career. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. And it's not, it's, it's not, not. You like, it's yeah. not. And, and if you can share something yes. with someone and ask them stuff and bring them on your podcast or 
I imagine there's a, a real, uh, it, it probably changes that feeling a lot, right? It changed it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't listen to That's people's awesome. records and go like, what the fuck is that guy? You know what I mean? <laughs> they start like, yeah. oh shit, man, what a cool song. Oh man, I hope this can, you know. Well, yeah. I think that's a really, that's a really, um, it's a great impulse. And I think it's a hard one for a lot of people, including me to like, how do you denature that, um, the first impulse, which is, well, your success means that it's like a zero sum game. Like if you do have some success, that means I didn't get that. You know, where are you on the festival poster? You know, where's your, like, yeah, where's yeah, your no, band? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? There's some, uh, and that there, sucks. there's some shitty like benefit gig that, that you're going to go to something that's going to take forever to be there. And you're going to get up and sing one fucking song and do this whole thing yeah. that you wouldn't want to do anyway. And when you're not on it, you're so pissed that you're not on it. Exactly. Yeah. Like I don't want to be there, but somehow you're like, <laughs> you didn't think to call me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it totally. totally diffuses that. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that that's done that for you. Cause it's a great way to uh, grow old gracefully in this business. Yeah. Right. Well, and yeah. it's, it's such a, it's such a young person's business. I mean, it's crazy. It's like, uh, I'm, I'm 34. I'm not even that close to 35 yet. And like, I feel already like this weird, like generational shift that's happened, you know, like it's happened multiple times, even since we started. Um, and I'm suddenly, you know, looked at as the, you know, the dad in the room. I'm, I mean, I'm like, I'm not even, I don't, I don't have a kid. Like I just, but I feel like this kind of like, uh, passage of time happens very, very quickly, particularly in like rock music. Um, yeah. So if, if you can find a way to do it where you don't, you know, you don't feel like, uh, hello there fellow kids. Like, I think that's probably a good, uh, a good way to, to, to grow old, as you say. Yeah. Hang on a second. Hey, Rosie. Hey, be cool. Hey, be cool. Rosie, Rosie. I, there's some guys working outside. This is not a normal, uh, she's no, no, normally worried. not a barker. Anyway, I I can't hear her anyway, so no, no worries. That's great, but you can hear me. Oh yeah, oh, that's yeah. great. I guess it's this mic. It's great. Yeah, you got it's got like the god effect, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. Well, uh, people can find the label. What's the What's the? Uh, is it BetterCompanyRecords.com? Yep. Okay. Yep. Got our and, whole roster And you there. guys are San Fermin. SanFermeanBand.com. that's right. Okay. Um, the album's Arms, it comes out on February 16th. I think this will come out before then. So uh, okay, in like two or three weeks. So yeah, congratulations, man. Uh, you made a great record. And uh, at some point, I'd love to get Claire on the show too. Her, her last name's Wellen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm be happy to be happy to connect you, you know. Fantastic. Maybe, maybe yeah. uh, you can send me... Send me an email because I also have the audio that I need to send to you for this. So you can do that for sure. Oh, awesome. Oh, you're going to send me the audio? Yeah. Great. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah, thank you. It was really, really fun to be on the show and nice to talk about this stuff. It's, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate the, uh, that, you know, it's like you, you listened to it in a way that brought up some new, new issues for me, which is cool. Good. I hope not bad issues. <laughs> well, Good issues only over here. <laughs> Good. Good. Yeah. Well, I really connected with your, with your music and, and your songs and, uh, and you've got two really great singers, man. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, I'll, uh, I'll pass on the compliment for sure. Yeah, definitely. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for doing the show. Man. All right. Thanks Johnny. Bye, All right. Have a good. I keep the place clean. 
Gang, that was Ellis Ludwig Leon from San Fermin. Get out there and check out their singles. My Love is a Loneliness, Arms, and the song that you just heard called Didn't You Want To. Great song. Go to sanfermeanband.com for all of your San Fermin needs and also check out when they're coming to a town near you on their 2024 spring tour, okay? They'll be out there doing it, doing it up, and they'll be in Austin on June 11th at the Parish. Go to SamForMeanBand.com for all of your Sam For Me needs. I want to thank Ellis for being so cool and staying in touch afterwards. I really enjoyed uh, I really enjoyed our conversation, and I really, really love this band, and I love this record. Also, uh, gang, check out that live record that I talked to him about uh, live at the Fillmore. That's a great record. It's on the streaming services. Go stream it. If you can dream it, you can stream it. I just made that up. I don't know what's wrong with me, man. I'm so out of it. I can't wait till I feel better. Hey, gang, don't forget we have shows dropping every Tuesday and every Friday. If you enjoyed this conversation with this fantastic artist, Ellis Ludwig Leon from San Fermin, you can hear many, many more conversations with many, many artists. Uh, New shows dropping every Tuesday and every Friday. I think in February, we will resume with our From the Vault series, which drops on Saturday night. So we'll have three shows a week. Get out there and check it out. How did I get here? Wherever it is you stream or download your your uh, podcast, you can find us on Podbean app, on the Apple Podcast, Spotify, Overcast, TuneIn. We are available wherever it is. Last 100 episodes on all streaming sites. If you want to hear all the episodes or have access to that, go to the Podbean app or go, go to podbean.com. How did I get here? All right. Uh, all right. This is the rest of the song. <laughs> didn't, you want, didn't you want to? Great song. Great song by the band Sam for me and have a great week, whatever it is you're doing. Let's get down. You probably wouldn't care. I'm still here breathing in. Good light and the plants are thriving If you did